you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. That's about two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through your Bible. And 28th chapter is the last chapter, and these are the last verses near the end of that chapter. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. These are familiar verses to some of you. They are new to others of you. These are the final words of Jesus Christ before he ascends into heaven that Matthew records for us. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all the days, even to the end of the age. So far the reading of God's Word. Last words. We often remember people's farewell address. If you are a New York Yankee fan, you know that this is the 75th anniversary of what? Lou Gehrig's great speech, standing on the pitcher's mound in Yankee Stadium. What did he say? He spoke to the fans who just two weeks before had learned that he had a fatal illness and Lou Gehrig stands, and it was on ESPN all day on the 4th of July over and over again. And he said to the fans, fans, for the past two weeks you have been reading about the bad break I got. Yet today, what did he say? I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. And these are imprinted into the New York psyche as Lou Gehrig expressed his gratitude for the privileges of his young life. And New York has never forgotten it. Last words, we remember them. These last words of Jesus in his farewell address have been the marching orders for the church for 2,000 years. And if you are a new believer, it is important for you to hear these words this day. Last words, very important. Jesus comes to his disciples, and you really need to put yourself in the shoes of these disciples. Let's just remember what the last three years, and in fact the last week, has been like for them. About three years prior to this, the energetic, charismatic, miracle-working prophet astounds them with his teaching and says to them, leave everything and come follow me. And they do. And as the years, these years quickly pass, rapidly pass, just a week prior, Jesus 
enters into Jerusalem, and the throngs praise him, and they shout out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and the disciples are persuaded. They are, yes, convinced that this Jesus is the promised Messiah of Israel. The promised ruler who is to come has now stood in their midst. And the crowds cheer him, and they listen to him. And in several short days, you know what happens. Jesus is brutally nailed to a cross and killed by those in authority. And the disciples flee and scatter, their hearts broken, their hopes dashed. And then three days later, word comes, and what do they hear? He is risen. He is risen. Do you remember what he said? He said he would rise. He is risen. And he tells us we should meet him at the mountain in Galilee. And so they go. And there they see him. And we are told, appropriately, they worship him. And there is in their hearts this swelling of joy. Their heads are spinning, but there is an ecstasy of joy. Master, we are with you again. You indeed are the Messiah. And he tells them, I'm leaving again. Right? I'm leaving you. I will send you the Holy Spirit of power, but I'm leaving you, and I'm putting you in charge of what is to come. And this is the context for these last words. And it changed their lives, and it changes our lives forever. Today, I just want us, as we begin a series together on the mission of the church, exploring together the most wonderful and remarkable passages in the Bible about the calling of God on our lives, I want us to begin with this, what is commonly called the Great Commission. And I want you to see three things that we get from this passage. We see, first, that Jesus promises us total missionary victory. And then, Jesus defines our missionary task for us. And then, Jesus gives us the gift of his powerful missionary presence. And we get this from four for the, from the repeating of one word four times in these brief verses. It's the word all. Four times in the Greek language is the word we translate in English, all. And he begins right at the beginning promising a missionary victory to the 11 disciples and the church that will follow. How do we know this guarantee? Jesus says in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And this Greek word exousia is a very interesting word that is often translated power. But Jesus has more, he's telling us he has more than power. The better translation really is authority or powerful authority or authority with power. You see, it's one thing to have authority, but you need power. It's another thing to have power and authority. You can have a bomb, but not the authority to set it off. You can have the authority, but no bomb. 
<laughs> Jesus has power and authority. Where does he get it, this power over the angels and over the earth? It comes from God the Father. And the Apostle Paul explains this moment to us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And I hope that this is a familiar passage of the Bible to you. It says, in this long chapter, it says that Jesus became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, my. So when Jesus is explaining to the disciples, all authority in the heaven and on earth has been given to me, he is saying to them, because of the cross, that moment, that place where I secured the missionary victory at the cross, where the sins of the world, all the sins of all my people through the world and through the ages have been forgiven. Now you are to take this grace out to the world. The victory is mine. You know, I had a friend named Jack Miller, and we were talking about the Great Commission one day. And Jack said, he said, you know, John, a lot of people love the Great Commission, but they start it in verse 19. Some of you maybe memorized the Great Commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples. And Jack said, how can people take verse 19 unless they first understand verse 18. Don't rush to verse 19 until you, deep in your soul, understand verse 18, that Jesus Christ has been crowned King of kings and Lord of lords and is now on his throne, ruling heaven and earth and what is under the earth. Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Do you believe that? Do you believe today that he is the King of kings? the Lord of lords, seated at the right hand of the Father in glory and honor. The reason we have confidence as the North Shore Community Church is not because we are so clever. It is not because we are so pious. It is not because we sing so beautifully. It's not because we have a few dollars in the bank. It's not because we have some education. Why are we confident? We are confident because Jesus is alive and Jesus rules. And so, as I've asked you many times, who is the head of the North Shore Community Church? Jesus Christ is the king and head of this church and his church around the world. And that is what gives us confidence. Don't put your trust in any Sunday school teacher or any elder or any pastor or any deacon. Don't put your trust in us, but do have full confidence in Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, as you embrace the missionary journey that he lays out for you in your own life. I love this. I believe it is deep in the DNA of our church. You can't have verse 19 unless you first have verse 18, okay? That being said, 
Jesus now defines for the disciples there at the mountain, he defines for them the missionary task. And two more times he uses the word all. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It starts out in verse 19, and it says, go. But actually, this word go is very interesting. And I, I won't labor, uh, bore you with all of the grammar, but the better translation would be, as you go, make disciples. So it's actually, in one sense, it's not an imperative. Jesus is assuming that as you go through life, wherever you go, you will make disciples. Now, sometimes the church has properly sent people overseas to unreached lands, and what a joy it was to commission our team going to Haiti, where in the darkness of voodoo and all kind of syncretistic religion, there is such a desperate need to hear the gospel of grace. It's a great thing. And I've had, you know, I've had a privilege that many of us have not had, but through engagement with missionary societies. You know, I've been to India, and I've been to Uganda, and to Morocco, and to Ukraine, and to Spain, and to Benin. And all I can tell you in my experience is that I stand in wonder at the Christian missionary enterprise all over the earth. I've been up in the Himalaya mountains in the least evangelized place on the planet. And Christians are witnessing to their neighbors about the love of Jesus Christ. It's astounding. You know, Lou Gehrig said he's the luckiest man on the face of the earth. I am the luckiest man on the face of the earth with the opportunities I have had to see the gospel of Jesus Christ going powerfully, naturally, happily through his people to the ends of the earth. But, you know, when it says all the nations, it's not talking about the geographical boundaries that are in your atlas or on your globe. The word is ethne, and what does that sound like? It's ethnic, ethnic group. And you have to remember to whom Jesus was speaking because Jesus was talking to the Jews of his day. And the ethnos, the ethnic peoples out there, who were they? They were the unclean, unwashed, unwelcome people, right? They weren't allowed in the temple. You weren't allowed to be hanging with them. And now Jesus says that the unwashed are welcome in my house. The nations, that's what he was getting at there. And where are the nations? Here right around you, right on this island. The nations are here. Do they still need the gospel? Do they still need to learn about Jesus? Tim Keller says this in, in, in your reflection I, I put in the bulletin this morning. Do you realize that there are people who do not understand the gospel of Jesus Christ? Tim Keller says, in the past... Many of our neighbors could understand traditional Christian preaching. Even when they responded with disagreement, right? They might have disagreed, but they understood 
the, the basic claims of Christianity, even when they responded with disagreement or indifference. During the last 15 years, however, our message is increasingly met with dumbfounded incomprehension. What? Or outrage. Who are you to tell me what I should believe? Keller writes, listen to this, until a generation ago in the United States, most adults had similar moral intuitions, whether they were born-again believers, nominal Christians, or non-believers. That has changed. What is Keller saying? He is saying that the culture in which we now live is a mission field. It's all around us. So what is our mission? Well, we will study this in the weeks to come. That's why this series is before you. But I tell you what it means in its essence. It means, friends, where you live, where you work, where you play, God wants you to build relationships. He wants you to build relationships with people. And as I quoted Miroslav Volf, that, that Croatian theologian that I like so much, Miroslav Volf says, he says, the church exists where she lives with a gentle difference. Sometimes we have a hard difference. Sometimes we have to stand up against evil and, you know, we draw the line. But, but he says it's so crucial as you build relationships with your unchurched friends that you have the soft difference, the gentle difference. And what is that? That is the fruit of the Spirit that we have been studying for the past three months. And people sense that you are kind. And people sense that you are generous. And people sense that you control your tongue. And they sense that you forgive. And that you are gentle and patient. And they experience your love and they say, Who is your God? You build relationships. And then you spread the word and you share the gospel. Now, you do not have to memorize the whole Bible. Good for you if you do. But friends, every one of us should have certain texts of Scripture that are front and center in our minds that we can use to help our friends understand the basic Christian message. Do you have, have you memorized John 3.16? I, I hope you have. Somebody wants a general introduction to the Christian faith, you just say, well, Jesus, uh, I, I was taught in the Gospel of John that God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but will have everlasting life. Springboard right into conversation right there. Or John 1, verse 12, Jesus uh, we are, tells us, we are told, um, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Springboard, John 1, 12, right into conversation. Or if you're really bold and uh, confident, you, you, you quote from Romans six twenty three. You know that verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Springboard right into conversation of God's Word, the Bible. And then, according to the great commission he gives us, we welcome them into the life of the church. And it is not enough to get somebody to pray a sinner's prayer somewhere out there. 
For what does Jesus command? He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what is baptism? Baptism is the sacrament of the church whereby we welcome people into the body of Christ, into the family of God. Baptism is that initiatory rite that when somebody comes to faith, you don't just say, oh, you prayed a sinner's prayer, well and good, go on your merry way. But we are to be an inviting, welcoming church, that family that welcomes people into our family. And they are to be baptized. Why? To have the sign of the washing that comes uh, through the salvation of Jesus, the, the sprinkling of the blood. Sprinkle them with the water and the sprinkling of the blood and the washing with water, you see. For all who are converted into Christ's kingdom or the children of believers. We don't tell the children of believers, stay outside the church till you're 13. Then you can decide if you want to come in, but we teach our children as they, they are raised, they are taught to observe everything Jesus has commanded them. And so they are brought into the church family and treated as church family because we love them. And Jesus is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping Savior. And so they are welcomed in. Listen, are we a welcoming church? I'll tell you, my son went to a church a couple weeks ago down in Phoenix, Arizona, and he said it was a nice church. But what happened after the service to him? Nothing. Nothing. He stood there for a couple minutes. Everybody went on their way. So he walked out, got in his car. Don't let that happen here. Don't let that happen here. If you see someone that is new to you or looks new to us, what should you do? Welcome them and then invite them. Come on downstairs and have a cup of coffee and a bagel with us. Let us get acquainted. Welcome them into your home fellowship group. We often say, let's have two empty chairs at every home fellowship group. Why should there be two open seats? To remind us that there should be guests coming in, you see. The movement is not that, well, um, we, we're a, you know, there's two kinds of churches. There are maintenance churches and there are missionary churches. Maintenance churches. What's the maintenance church? Well, it's all about us taking care of ourselves. And we're a little click. We're just happy with ourselves here. Oh, who are you? Oh, nice to see you. And then there are missionary churches. Missionary churches who understand what Jesus is saying here. That there are people out there who desperately need to know the love of the Father and the forgiveness of their sins and the hope of everlasting life. And so you welcome them into the family of God and you teach them to obey all things I have commanded. And of course, baptism is just the beginning. The great mistake especially in churches that practice infant baptism. We believe infant baptism is biblical, but the great mistake in churches that practice infant baptism is that they assume that they've done enough. You sprinkle the water, you teach the kid to eat the cookie when he's a little older, that's it. What does Jesus say? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. So fathers are said... Raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Sunday school teachers are arranged to raise them up. 
And when people are converted, if you're new to Christ, you come into my greenhouse class. I have a class called the greenhouse. You come in and you are instructed in, in the ways of the Lord, you see, and we, we together grow, learning all things that he has commanded. And friends, when you learn to put off the old self and to put on the new in Christ, you are beginning to obey everything he has commanded. And that leads us to the third point. And the third point is that God gives you the gift of his all-powerful missionary presence. Now the fourth all. What does he say? For I am with you all the days. And this is fantastic, isn't it? It goes back to the first. Why do we have total confidence? Because Christ is alive and all authority has been given to him. And now this third point, it cycles back. I am with you all the days, always. Do you remember when Moses was given his duty, lead the people, and Moses freaks out, I can't do this. Now what does God say to him? I am with you. And when Moses goes up on the mountain to die and does not enter the promised land, and young Joshua is called to lead the people forward on their mission to take the land for God, what does God say to Joshua? I am with you. And when Israel is to pass through fiery trials and through deep waters, what does the prophet Isaiah say in Isaiah 41, verse 10? Do you know this? So do not fear, for I am with you. And now Jesus, Jesus says to us, at the birth of the New Testament church, at the birth of the church, he says, don't worry, I'm leaving you, but I'm not leaving you. I'm leaving you, but I'm not leaving you. I will be taking up residence within you by my Holy Spirit, and I am with you always. And it's not just to make you feel better, it's not just to make you successful in life, but it is a missionary presence so that you will be my light in this dark and bloody and ruined world. You will be my light. I will be with you. And so you're at the coffee table at work, and someone says, well, what do you do on Sunday mornings? You pray, and you say, Lord Jesus, we have an opportunity here. Help me out. And I'm confident you will and then speak in faith. You tell them what you believe. And when you're at the PTA meeting, and someone says, hey, can you come over to our party on Sunday, Sunday morning? You say, well, I'll, I'll get there at noon. Oh, really? Why can't you come at 11.30? Well, I'll get there, but, but I'll be coming from church. Oh, really? Why do you go to church? And you say, Lord Jesus, you're with me, okay? Um, let's let's uh, give her an answer. And you be confident. He'll give you the words to say. You have a testimony. You have a story. Do not be ashamed of him. Let's never be ashamed of our Jesus. And he said he will never be ashamed of us. So, do you believe he has all authority? Do you believe that he wants you to learn all things he has commanded you? Yes. Do you believe that the nations, all the nations, are right around you right now, and you are his missionary to them? Yes, yes, yes. 
Do you believe he is with you? Indeed, he is. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that indeed you are with us. And we want to go from this place not just as nice people. We want to go from this place as new people, energized by our King who's taken up residence in us. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for that place where we, where we learn of our desperate need for you. And we thank you for the sufficiency of the cross so that we are completely forgiven through faith in Jesus. Lord, you know our neighbors, our classmates at school, our colleagues at work, our family members who really need to know you. And we pray for divine appointments. And we pray for us as a church that we will have welcoming hearts. We will bring and welcome people in for your glory, that they may be fellow disciples with us. In Jesus' name, amen.